BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A number of high profile incidents are shining a spotlight on the rise in crime around the United States. So what do Democrats want us to focus on? QAnon and white supremacy. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So there are a number of incidents that have gotten a lot of attention recently. Uh, Viral videos out there. People are seeing heinous crimes committed. They're seeing a law enforcement response that feels like it's not only insufficient, but almost absent in many cases. We know we've had the defunding and undermining of police from the left in this country for over a year. We've seen homicides, city after city skyrocketing, uh, shootings going way up, sometimes in the high double or even into triple digit increases year over year. Something's really wrong in the country. Let's, let's just give you a sense of some of the incidents I'm referring to here. Uh, first of all, this was, in, this was in Walgreens. Now, this isn't a violent incident, but to the defund the police narrative and, and the way that, that there's a, a lawlessness that has become much more widespread in our society. In Walgreens, uh, there was a theft from a, there was a theft that occurred, and we have the video of it here. You'll see a person just goes into Walgreens in broad daylight in San Francisco, major American city. They've decriminalized effectively. You won't be arrested if you have under a certain dollar figure for theft, and it's in the hundreds of dollars. So someone just goes into into a Walgreens with a big bag, steals a whole bunch of stuff, nothing to be done. What do you do, call the police? They're not gonna do anything, watch. woman says, call 911, and then they realize, why? Cops will show up. Maybe they'll write a, a ticket or something, and the person will never pay it. They can't arrest them. Not enough stolen, you see. Yeah, that's right. 
defund the police also has coincided with stop enforcing the law. Do you think that's a coincidence? And it's resulted in a whole lot of much more serious crimes, of course, than just some, uh, some petty theft from a store. Here in, a, uh, in an Atlanta mall, you had gunmen shooting at a security guard. You know, violent, violent incident playing out here. Again, you notice broad daylight at a mall. Security guard's got a gun pointed at him. Uh, you've had recent incidents, and, and I'm just letting, letting this play. You see the gun drawn, broad daylight. We see all this here. This is right in Atlanta. And uh, they shot the security guard. So now, now we're seeing brazen, evil, heinous criminal acts occurring in ways that shock the conscience of everyday Americans. And it's getting worse. We're seeing more. The numbers are, are proving. I mean, if you need any, any data, the numbers show that this isn't just a perception thing. It's not just because there are some of these videos. There is a deterioration of law and order that's going on in America right now. And it is the result of Democrat pandering and embrace of anti-cop movements, of the rejection of policies that result in criminals being punished more efficiently and more severely when necessary. Instead, they decide that there'll be no cash bail. Instead, they decide that they won't enforce certain crimes at all. And that the real problem when it comes to violence is actually the police not the people who are conducting violence against innocents in ever larger numbers, the criminals in city after city across America. There is obviously a crisis that's playing out. It cannot be ignored. It cannot uh, be argued that this is some right-wing fixation. Just look at the data. Look at the increases. This is the worst one-year increase in shootings and murders America has seen in 20 years. That's something that you can't just sweep aside. That's something that can't just be uh, subject to some talking points from a glib Democrat on TV and all of a sudden no one really pays attention anymore. But what are the Democrats, at the national level, what is their focus now? What violence, what instability are they concerned with? Well, we know that it's not a question of the law enforcement issues we see on streets all across the country. What they're really worried about is white supremacy. Yes, the the threat, the domestic terror threat of white supremacy. I'm sure normal Americans leaving their homes every day go, oh my gosh, I better be scared about the next white supremacist attack that may happen. Where are these things? What are these attacks that we're all supposed to think are an imminent threat to 330 million people in America? I mean, I'm just wondering, where, where are we seeing this sense that this is Yes, it happens, but that it's an imminent concern of the federal government because at any moment now we could have another. Well, here's Merrick Garland, the attorney general, telling you exactly. The number of open FBI domestic terrorism investigations this year has increased significantly. According to an unclassified summary of the March intelligence assessment, the two most lethal elements of the domestic violence extremist threat are racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists and militia violent extremists. In the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race. I mean, I ask you this honestly, have you ever ever even seen 
or, or, or met a, a white supremacist? They, they speak about this like it's happening all over the place. It's a constant threat, a constant concern. Really? Where, where are we actually seeing this play out? Oh, that's right. It's, it's all about the January 6th insurrection all over again. That's what we're told. The insurrection that they now wave as the bloody shirt. And they lie about this, of course, and, and tell us that there are police officers who were killed that day. That's not true. There are not police officers who were killed as a result of violence on January 6th. In fact, there's only one woman who was killed that day, and it's Ashley Babbitt. And her husband is asking for the name of the cop who shot her. This is a photo of Ashley Babbitt here. Why can't we know the name of the... We always find out the name of a cop that shoots anybody else across America. If you have a a law enforcement officer who shoots any suspect for that matter, but particularly given the media focus on it, an African-American suspect, we know the name of that cop. We always find out. Why can't we know the name of the law enforcement, the Capitol Hill police officer who shot Ashley Babbitt? Why is that treated like a state secret? And in fact, why can't we see the use of force justification? No, no one thought that Ashley Babbitt was really a imminent threat to the officer who shot her. I mean, he had a gun. She's unarmed. There's a door. She's trying to you know, punch through, break down a door. She was engaged in riot, no question. She was breaking the law, no question. Shot in the neck? No warning? No stop or I'll shoot? Just shot in the neck. I'd like an explanation of this. And I'm somebody who's worked with law enforcement and has been trained with weapons by the state. I'm just wondering, I'd like to know under what basis lethal force was used there. Why can't we get that answer? It should be immediately forthcoming. It should have been something we've known for months. But I just want to point out to you, um, you know what you're really supposed to worry about? Not the crime that's happening all across the country. QAnon. This is what's on CNN. I want to turn now to our politics lead, an FBI warning to lawmakers that QAnon followers may start targeting them with actual violence. It's a story you'll see first on CNN. Let's bring in senior national correspondent Alex Markhard. So what's behind this warning? Any new intelligence? Well, this is uh, a two-page unclassified FBI report that was obtained by our colleague Zach Cohen. And what it essentially says is that some adherents of QAnon, the conspiracy theory, are going to start taking matters into their own hands in a violent way because a lot of what they believed would come true has not come to pass. QAnon, that's the big threat over at CNN. Yeah, we're really worried about that one. Our President Biden meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin tomorrow in a much-anticipated summit in Helsinki, Finland. After the break, we'll talk to the Heritage Foundation's James Carafano about what to expect from tomorrow's meeting. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own and you didn't want to make rookie mistakes? I felt exactly the same way as you until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investments, but I didn't want to get involved in something that I just didn't understand. That's when I met my friends at Done For Your Real Estate. These guys are experts. They know what they're doing, and they took all the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant for me, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For Your Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how this works. Again, every step of the process from picking the city, the house, getting the loan set up, getting a tenant in place, and a management company to handle the whole thing for you. Just go to doneforyoubuck.com to see what my friends can do for you. That's doneforyoubuck.com 
to begin your real estate investment journey today with experts who will help you achieve real success. I have met with him. He's bright, he's tough, and uh, I have found that uh, he is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. President Biden, who once called Vladimir Putin a killer with no soul, dubbed the Russian president a worthy adversary in Brussels yesterday. So why the change of heart before the big meeting between the two of them? Let's ask Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano, Vice President of National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Jim, good to see you. Hey, it's great to be with you. So there's a report out there that a team of Russia experts helped Biden prep uh, for this Putin meeting, including Fiona Hill, who was with Trump when he met with Putin. What, what do we think went down here? I mean, what, what is Biden trying to accomplish that's not just the most simple of photo ops uh, through sitting down with Vladimir Putin? What, what's he going to be pushing him on? Well, look, I, I hope that that story's not true, because if he was prepped uh, and then he delivered a, a performance like that in a press conference where he was he was asked, asked really the most obvious of questions like, hey, you called Putin a killer. Do you still think he's a killer? And he literally stumbled for 30 seconds, unable to give a coherent answer. Boy, that's not a good sign. Look, um, let, let's talk about what's probably going to happen here, which is it doesn't matter. Words don't really matter to Putin. What matters to Putin is power. Like he may choose to embarrass the president or, or be nice to him or whatever, but that's all completely ephemeral. What really matters is what people do. You know, Trump had the most disastrous meeting, his first meeting with Putin, and his press conference afterward was really just, it was a, it was a dumpster fire. But the reality is he had four great years of policy because of what he did. And that's what really matters to the, the Russians. I think the okay, bar. Jim, can I jump? In, can I just jump in quickly before we move oh. to the next point of what did Trump do with what did he actually do? I know there's Russia collusion madness that overtook our media for four years. What was Trump's Russia foreign policy? What what he did with the Russians, which is identical to what actually did with the Chinese, the North Koreans, and the Iranians, was he said, "Look, I don't want to fight with you, but I'm gonna I'm gonna demonstrate to you that I am gonna protect my interests." And I'm not going to back off. And if you don't like that, tough. And so, for example, with the Russians, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which benefits the Russians, undermines the economic security and energy security of Western Europe, which is bad for the U.S., Trump said, I'm going to fight that. And, and that got the Russians' attention. And, and they literally kind of respected that. Um, that works waving your finger at them and lecturing them, they don't care because they're not accountable to anybody. They're not accountable to a press, to voters, to a legislative body. So the, the, the throwing back of words is absolutely meaningless in the, in the world of great power competition. Now, how, how does this now translate into the way Biden is approaching this? I mean, we know that Biden and Putin are not holding a joint press conference. Trump and Biden, uh, Trump and Putin rather did back in 2018. So what is, what is the new U.S.-Russia policy under a Biden administration looking like so far? What should we expect it to be? Well, right now it's looking almost identical to Obama's foreign policy, which actually was, was much more isolationist, 
than than Trump. I mean, Trump famously was attacked for being an isolationist, but the reality was the Obama administration really wanted to disengage from problems because they thought by disengaging, they wouldn't have problems and, and issues, and they could focus on on solely on domestic policies. And so they're, despite their internationalist rhetoric and everything else, they, they really didn't want to get involved overseas. And Biden has adopted almost exactly the same mantra, where, he's, where he talks like, we will compete with Russians where we must, but we will cooperate really we can, which means you know we really want to achieve a status quo where you're not a problem for us, so we don't have to worry about you. But the problem with that strategy is it just opens up space for the bad guys to do bad things, and that forces you to then have to address that. And what Biden is also doing, which is, a, again, even not just a carbon copy of Obama's foreign policy, but actually one-ups it is, he's really just enlisting foreign policy to push his domestic agenda. So going back to the climate accord isn't really about international leadership on climate change. It's really about, look, now I have international legitimacy for all the things I want to do here at home, canceling Keystone Pipeline, driving all these domestic and economic policies, all this spending on green energy, the Green New Deal. It's the same thing with the G7. We're talking about global corporate taxes, legitimatizes that corporate taxes are good policy. So we can come back to the United States and say, oh, well, we have to have corporate taxes because that's what everybody is doing. So what he's really doing is using foreign policy as an excuse to hammer his progressive agenda here at home while really trying to minimize having to be tough and interact with these foreign with these other guys. But the problem is, is both, I think the allies and our enemies have already figured out Biden has opened up space for them to play with. And what they're really doing is sitting around, not like they did with Trump, with which is worrying about if we do this and we're pushing against the Americans, what will Trump do to us? That's not what they're doing here. Here what they're doing is Biden has kind of given us an open field. What can we do to take advantage of this? What do you make of the of the recent back and forth over and, and some of this was in the press that Putin was even offering up maybe some hackers? I mean, with Putin, do we, we even get the guys really behind the hacking? I mean, there's a lot of questions there. But cyber seems to be the place where where Russia uh, is, at least in, in an imminent sense, the biggest challenge of U.S. corporations are, are worried about um, this, these uh, blackmail schemes, essentially, right, where they're all of a sudden their data is seized and they have to pay these, uh, these extortion fees. Um, what, what do you make of, of the Biden administration's ability to, to deal with this? It feels like this is something that actually is, you know, is a concern from Russian soil that affects everyday folks in this country. Well, the hacking thing is a really interesting question because it actually challenges the idea that the president was either well-prepped or walked into this with a real plan. Hacking is a huge issue. The United States is going in with really nothing to put on the table. So really all the initiative is with Putin on how he wants to react to that. Putin comes out and says this nonsensical thing, which, oh yeah, you identify criminal hackers, I will hand them over to you. I identify criminal hackers in America and you'll hand them over to me. Biden says, well, this sounds like a reasonable idea. The White House immediately says, no, 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 we're not going to do that because it's obviously an incredibly stupid idea because we would go to Putin and say, well, this this is the guy that hacked the Continental Pipeline, you know, turn him over to us. And Putin would say, OK, 
Um, the head of the National Security Agency is criminally hacking into my network, so hand over the senior official in the National Security Agency for me for, for prosecution. That's that wouldn't stupid. go over well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, not that's not going to be a big uh, that's not going to be a big high five on that one. So did we not prep? Are we going off script? Do we do we not have a plan? I think the reality is, the purpose of this trip was to just send Biden out there to do the pleasant grandpa thing, which everybody loves. We love it here. The world loves it. We love the crazy grandpa thing, and show everybody that Biden is out there acting as a president. And it was to do no harm. Just go out there and don't do anything stupid and reaffirm all the things we want to do back here. Hope we want more taxes. We want yeah. more climate change. We want more gender theory. And that's it. So look, the bar, they put a bar that was so low for him. The president could only miss it by tripping over it. But yet and he still has these really embarrassing And he kind of did. I mean, that's, that's the, he actually, you know, tripping maybe not so much, but the senior moments, Jim, we saw them. And I, 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 by the way, I don't like pointing those out. I remember what it was like my own grandfather. I, you know, I'm not somebody who takes any glee in saying, this guy's almost 80 years old, though, folks. Like, this is the reality of the president that we're seeing here. And we're all supposed to pretend, you know, the emperor still has clothes, even though we know he doesn't. But we got to leave it there for now, Jim. Um, good, good, to, good to see you. Good to see you. And thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Naftali Bennett has succeeded Benjamin Netanyahu as the new prime minister of Israel. David Afoon, editor of the Alga Miner, joins us next to discuss what the change in leadership means for U.S.-Israeli relations. Stay with us. I've been telling you for a while now about online thieves who can easily steal your home's title, but you don't have to take my word for it. Take it from this thief who stole over 150 homes and was sentenced to 25 years in prison. This is why you need Home Title Lock. Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. No, no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's, it's in my name, or he would have to get some special document. They would call me, you know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that, that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Heard enough? Don't let this crime happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and enter code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It's official. Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's longest serving prime minister, has been ousted from office, replaced by 49-year-old Naftali Bennett. Bennett is a former army commando and a self-made tech millionaire whose politics are not radically different from those of his predecessor. So what does the change in leadership mean for the future of Israel and U.S. relations? Joining me now, the editor of the Algaminer, David Efoun. David, always good to see you, my friend. Likewise, Buck. 
let's start with uh, what do we need to know about this Naftali Bennett character? In, in the West, in, in the U.S., we all know Bibi. We even, you know, we use his nickname, right? Bibi is, we, we think of him as a politician that's been in our lives for a long time because of the close relationship with Israel and obviously his longtime dominance there. What do we need to know about this, this Bennett fellow? Well, there's, there's a few things to know. First of all, as, as you quite rightly said, ideologically, if anything, he's a little bit to the right of Bibi. In fact, in many ways, he, he charted the same path. You know, they were in the same special unit, Sayeret Markal in the army. Uh, Bennett actually worked for Bibi, was his chief of staff for, for some period in time. Some even referred to him as, as a Bibi protege. Um, having said that, you know, he's also uh, very much considered a pragmatist. And, you know, besides for his own personal views and, you know, the ideological positions of his party, he's put together a hell of a patchwork coalition. I don't know how much your listeners are familiar with how building governments and, and coalition politics works in Israel, but it's, it's put together from so many disparate parts. Um, it's going to be hard for it to, to, to accomplish a lot, do a lot, make any major changes, to be honest. That is can can it, you actually, I mean, can you take us into a little bit of a, uh of Knessetology, if you will, for a second. My, this audience and me, I, I love to learn a little yeah. more about this, David, and I know you know this stuff backwards and forwards. Why did this shift happen and how did the coalition come together? Well, basically you have 120 seats in, in Israel's Knesset. And the way that it works is, you know, there's no sort of regional representation. People vote for a party and whichever party gets the highest percentage of the vote gets X amount of seats relevant to the percentage of the vote they have. It's hardly ever happened, I don't even know if it's ever happened, that any one party got 61 seats, namely the majority of the Knesset, what's needed to form the government. So what you need is these coalitions where various parties come to agreements with each other to sit in the government together. And typically those governments are formed by the party that got the most seats. Having said that, you know, it involves a decent amount of give and take. Netanyahu won for, you know, the longest time the greatest amount of seats in the Knesset, and he still has the greatest amount of seats in the Knesset. He has 30 seats in the Knesset. Having said that, he can't form a government unless he has another 30 or 31 seats that are gonna join his coalition. Now, being in politics for 12 years in the last run, another three years, 15 years, he's made enough enemies that there are so many of these little parties, the much smaller parties that say, I don't wanna be with him, and they sort of conspire together to bring him down. So Naftali Bennett, who is now becoming prime minister, actually has a quarter, less than a quarter of the amount of seats in the Knesset that Bibi has. But because he played his cards right by not committing to, to either one of the two sides, he sort of positioned himself as a kingmaker and then was then in a position uh, to demand that he become the prime minister. And that was, um, you know, so, the so center point. What, of are some of the, what are some of the groups within Israel, I mean, groups within the Knesset, I mean, that that are on the Naftali side now. I mean, you know, who, who you said it's kind of a, a, a whole bunch of folks. I know you can't speak about all of them. We don't have all, all, all day to go through it. But is anyone on the left joining in with him or is this only on the right? Oh, yeah. I mean, basically what happened is the whole of Israeli politics took the form of pro-Bibi and anti-Bibi. That's what happened. There's, there's like no other factors that were really uh, significant in the equation here. So the anti-Bibi coalition includes some of his enemies from the right, that includes people from the center, people from the left. It includes an Arab party, for example. It includes a real patchwork of characters from all different sides of the political spectrum, which is why you know the, the common sentiment here is that the one thing that this government can achieve 
is is getting rid of Bibi, at least Bibi, you know, at least temporarily. We don't know what it's going to look like for the long term. But in terms of coming to consensus on other issues, they're probably going to have to focus on sort of domestic consensus issues and won't be able to make too many changes on sort of big picture political and regional national security issues. David, what are your expectations for how a Naftali Bennett as PM led Knesset is going to be different from what we saw, I've seen for a long time now under under Netanyahu. Well, you know, Netanyahu is a strong leader, and not just because, you know, that's his personality, um, but also because he was always in a strong position, namely that he was the larger party in his coalition, um, and he was able to negotiate agreements that really allowed him to, to take the lead without too many people interfering in checks and balances. The, the, the coalition agreement that we're seeing now, you've got sort of Naftali Bennett as the figurehead, you've got another fellow called Yair Lapid, who actually has the, the second largest coalition, who really holds a lot of the levers of power and has a lot of his people in, in key positions. And then just to, to build this coalition and to get some of the other parties in place, all kinds of things had to be offered to them as well. So even if, if Naftali Bennett sort of presents in a similar way to Bibi, you know, in personality-wise, he's just not going to have the strength and, and the latitude uh, that, that Netanyahu was able to bring to the table. And that's going to be a big challenge for him. We'll see how he handles it. Are there any expectations of a change in, at all, really, in U.S.-Israeli relations as a result of this uh, ouster of Bibi, at least this temporary ouster? Well, we're seeing a little bit of a change in, in terms of the language. Certainly, a lot of the elements of, of the new government are, are more to the left. And, you know, they've been speaking a lot about sort of trying to make sure we have a better relationship with the Democrats, making sure that we have uh, good relationships with many Jewish communities in the diaspora in the United States and around the world. So in terms of language, in terms of rhetoric, um, I think that, that there may be some, some, some changes. But in terms of substance on the key issues, the Palestinians, Iran, there is a great deal of consensus among the Israeli public that the Iranian nuclear deal is a terrible thing on both sides of the aisle. It's, it's almost like there is no political representation that agrees with, with how the Biden administration and previously the Obama administration have been thinking about dealings with, with Iran. Uh, obviously, the Palestinian issue as well, you know, you have a situation where a large part of the public has almost been permanently traumatized by the idea of making territorial concessions. They gave away um, their hold on Gaza. They got four wars in return. So it's, it's still going to take a lot for the Israeli public to be comfortable with that sort of two-state paradigm where you're giving up land, land for peace. And, you know, regardless of who's in power, getting the Israeli people behind that comfortable and secure I think it's going to be a real challenge regardless. Just uh, quickly before I let you go, David, uh, the end of the hostilities that broke out that we had you on many times to talk about when there were rockets fly flying in the air and Israeli counterstrikes against Hamas sites. Where, where does that, where did that, I mean, how, how did that really, I mean, there's obviously a ceasefire. How did that end and where did that leave things? Well, it ended up with a ceasefire. I think both of the parties sort of saw it as in their best interest to, to, to de-escalate at that particular time. But there's no question that Gaza is a permanent tinderbox. It, you know, it can explode at any moment, sitting there sort of embedded in Israel's southwestern corner. It is uh, an, an issue that the can that's been kicked down the road has been swept under the rug, um, but it is a permanent uh, thorn in Israel's side that can sort of erupt and exacerbate at any moment. Um, and, and, you know, any government, whichever government it is, is going gonna, is gonna to have to deal with it at, at that time until somebody comes up with a permanent solution. I, I haven't seen one yet. 
that works short of Israel taking over the whole of Gaza. But obviously, there's a tremendous cost in, in human life that that comes with. And no Israeli governments have, have been prepared to do that at this stage. David, always good to see you. Thanks so much for joining. Likewise, always a pleasure. Once a bully, always a bully. There's more dirt coming out about Chrissy Teigen, celebrity, and her past cyberbully acts. Uh, will an apology save this hypocritical leftist celebrity? Morgan Ziegers joins me to discuss when we come back. What goes around comes around. Actress and TV star Chrissy Teigen's long history of cyberbullying is coming to light, and it's not pretty. Multiple victims have come out against Teigen's alleged online bullying. It doesn't look like there's any chance of her lengthy apology salvaging her already very badly damaged reputation. Here to tell us what's really going on here, React to it all, founder of Young Americans Against Socialism and newly added member to the first, uh, Morgan Ziegers. Morgan, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Buck. So let's just start with why is Chrissy Teigen's name something that even I, I actively try to avoid celebrity gossip and headlines and stuff. It, it's, it matters to me even less than professional sports, which I know barely makes me American, but nonetheless, here I am telling people the truth. Why is Chrissy Teigen in the headlines? Well, I think you and I really align on this in that idea of why do we idolize people that have a lot of followers? Why do we idolize celebrities, actresses, singers, and people like Chrissy Teigen, who I, I think modeled for a few years and now is, is married to a singer? Uh, for me, I'm not a mother yet, but I definitely know one of the lessons I want to instill in my children is to not idolize these people look up to people who have strong core values, who have a great moral character, not people like Chrissy Teigen. And, and I think people, first of all, we were disappointed with leaders like Fauci this year, right? I mean, it turns out he's lied to us about quite a lot. And now the more we see this exposure of celebrities for who they really are, uh, I think Americans are gonna start to realize that what they put online is not exactly who they are behind the scenes. And we have that with Chrissy Teigen. She hasn't been on social media for over a month now, Buck, because she got exposed for telling teenage moms and, and girls that were very young that got themselves a lot of media for doing maybe some naughty things, some inappropriate things uh, with a naive mind. She was DMing them, messaging them, telling them that she wants them dead to have dirt naps. She was tweeting about how she, she fantasizes about their deaths and in general just sending insane negative energy towards these young impressionable minds. And now more information just came out this week where she was telling a dress designer, Michael Costello that he deserves to die for his racism when he has been very clear about this and Instagram has proved this is fake. A disgruntled employee of Costello came out with fake screenshots where he, the employee made it look like he said a racial slur and he did not. Yeah, and we Chrissy actually, Teigen Morgan, just so everyone at home can see, we, we have these, these in full screen so I can show people at home exactly what you're talking about. Uh, he wrote to her, oh, Chrissy, can I call you? And she responded, no, I don't have anything to say to you. You will get what's coming to you. Chrissy, I've never called anyone the N-word. Those fake images were photoshopped from a former disgruntled employee. And she wrote, good luck with that, LMAO. Hope that story keeps your already dead career going. Please call me, I'm suffering from this more than you can imagine. So many people are attacking me over this. It's a fake story, but your comment is adding more fuel to the fire. And she wrote, good, racist people like you deserve to suffer and die. You might as well be dead. Your career is over, just watch. I mean, she's a vindictive and evil person. And I gotta tell you, I'm not somebody who 
gets into uh, the, the cancel side of cancel culture very often. Um, but there are actually lines and limits. And somebody who would write this kind of stuff to a person under any circumstances uh, deserves to be completely driven out of the public square and deserves uh, the humiliation she's received from the revelations about who she really is. Exactly. And I don't know if you've heard Candace Owens say this before. She's saying how we need to get away from cancel culture, where we cancel people for just their basic conservative political beliefs and instead focus on accountability culture. And that's really what this is all about. Chrissy Teigen wasn't just snarky. She wasn't just mean. She was evil in these. I can't imagine saying something like this to someone else. And this was to Michael Costello, who I, I'll admit I've followed him for years. He's a great dress designer. And to know that he, over these years, has secretly been wanting to commit suicide over what she said to him, it really does strike a nerve with me. And seeing this this morning uh, really affected me. And I'm glad that you brought me on to talk about this because I hate the fact, hate, I don't say hate often, I hate the fact that so many people look up to her. I mean, she was invited to the White House. She was at the White House correspondent respondents dinner. Everybody cares about who she votes for. She's a very known figure that talks often about politics. And she has the courage to act like we are the deplorables for having our basic conservative values when she's telling people this evil stuff in secret messages. It's it's really disturbing. Yeah, I think it's, it's just a reminder as well of how many leftists are elevated within our culture who should not be and, and are actually really damaging. I mean, our, our uh, substantially on the wrong side of what we want to see in society, the kind of, uh, of decency and, and uh, honestly, the kind of kindness that we should be uh, demanding from people who are so privileged. I mean, that's one thing about Chrissy Teigen and John Legend that I just can't help but notice. These are people who are very open and very, uh, not just about their politics, but about how much they despise people who don't share their politics, namely conservatives, uh, and are constantly pretending to be victims while going out and making real victims of other people and have gotten a lot without really being great at anything. I'm going to be honest, Chrissy Teigen didn't have some big career in anything and John Legend had one good song 20 years ago. This is reality or whatever it was yeah, 10 years ago. I don't know. Well, and it's a greater indication of the trend that's occurring this isn't just with Chrissy Teigen, right? There is usually the story of people, celebrities, famous people. There's always a documentary that comes out later in their life that says, oh yeah, all that time when I was doing those interviews, all that time when I was on stage, I was high on drugs, I was an alcoholic, I was going through XYZ, very serious problem. I was doing cocaine, that's why I was so skinny. And as they were going through these problems, they aren't telling the public list, and instead they're on these posters on little girls' walls and little boys' walls as they're growing up because they are idols. And and unfortunately, we just are in a society that idolizes these celebrities. And, and we can all do our part, I would say, by encouraging the uh, idolization of good and moral character and not people who have a lot of followers or fame from a, a skill like acting or singing. It's, now, how it's, do you it's take proving it? uh, itself to be When, when she put forward here, Morgan, um, not a day, not a single moment. This is her apology has passed where I haven't felt the crushing weight of regret for the things I've said in the past. There's simply no excuse for my horrible tweets. My targets didn't deserve them. No one does. I thought it made me cool and relatable if I poke fun at celebrities. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I'm not, I, I'm somebody who likes to give people second chance and everything else. Not, not good enough. 
Absolutely not. And I do believe with this era of cancel culture, which I think is totalitarianism really against anybody who commits wrong think, uh, I think we do need to have more grace. We need to be able to forgive people, give them an opportunity to redeem themselves and reintegrate back in society. We shouldn't say you did something wrong, you made a mistake and now you're banned from the public square. But with a case like Chrissy Teigen, I don't care about that apology because it wasn't like she had a snarky remark or a sassy tweet. Instead, Buck, she's DMing a private message to multiple different people telling them to kill themselves and that they should be dead, that they deserve to be dead. It's inexcusable. It's not people something that's worth prison, of redemption. As you know, Morgan, if, if somebody acts on that, there, there are court cases where individuals who have a relationship with somebody and are told to go, if you tell someone, go kill yourself and you know they're in a vulnerable state, they've been held criminally liable for that. So, I mean, this, this goes even beyond her, her, that's why I feel like her apology, I thought it made me cool and relatable. Really? You thought telling people in private messages you point out, uh, you point out made, uh, made you cool and relatable, Chrissy Teigen? No, no, she, she needs to be uh, gone, gone. Never, never want to see this person in public life ever again, or her husband for that matter. But good to see you, Morgan, and thanks for shedding light on this, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Buck. Late Show host Stephen Colbert got a big surprise last night when former Daily Show host Jon Stewart went on a rant about the logic of the Wuhan lab leak theory. We're going to have video on that for you in Quick Kids tonight. We're living in very uncertain times, and being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable. The government is passing massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And many experts are predicting inflation could run rampant in the coming months. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something a little more reliable right about now. Well, what could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group right now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now at 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-G-O-L-D. John Stewart goes off script and Joe Biden takes some time to collect his thoughts. We have those stories in quick hits. Let's get right to it. Look, I, I think that The Daily Show when John Stewart was at the helm uh, was a, in many ways, a dishonest program because it was really news commentary that also did comedy. It wasn't just a comedy show and it was really propaganda for the left, but it was adept. John Stewart, he was adept at it. John Stewart was a, a talented and humorous propagandist at that. I've, I've been saying that for a long time, unlike Trevor Noah, who just isn't very funny and isn't very clever, but nonetheless has this tremendous purge. Anyway, John Stewart was on the Colbert Show, which those of us who remember back in college uh, when the John Stewart Show had Colbert as a correspondent, uh, these two guys know each other from working together for a long time. And John Stewart is a devotee of the Wuhan leak, which I agree with him, the Wuhan lab leak theory, and had quite a moment explaining it to the folks. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. There's a novel 
respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. The disease is the same name as the lab. Oh my God, there's been an outbreak of chocolatey goodness near Hershey, Pennsylvania. What do you think happened? Like, oh, I don't know, maybe a steam shovel made it with a cocoa bean. Or it's the chocolate factory. Maybe that's it. Mmm. Look, John Stewart's right on some things, and I think he's right on this one. But doesn't that, isn't it fascinating how when you look at this, they were able to make it seem like the people who could see the obvious about the lab leak theory, they were the crazy ones. Just like we've seen with so many other aspects of COVID and lockdowns and, and all the rest of this, it was the people that could see things for what they are were the problem, not the solution. It was in fact the people that went along with the false consensus of absurd or much less likely uh, uh, conclusions here. Uh, those were the folks who as you can see, um, we're supposed to be right, and they were not. Anyway, John Stewart, credit, I, credit where it's due. One, the guy's funny. He is. He's funny, and he's right on this one. Uh, Joe Biden. This wasn't funny. This was kind of sad. Well, look, I mean, he has made clear that uh, uh, The answer is, I believe he has in the past essentially acknowledged that he was, uh, there are certain things that he would do or did do. Okay, look, that's a senior moment. I know a lot of people on the right are yelling senility and things like that. I, you know, he reminds me of one of my, grand, one of my grandfathers, you know, I, and really he does. And I remember what it was like when he had senior moments and somebody's very close to me and my family. And so... I have sympathy for Joe Biden in these moments. I don't have sympathy for the people that, the handlers, the puppeteers around him and the media establishment that kept pushing him forward and acting like we can't all know and see what's really going on here. I think it's despicable. I mean, the guy is too old for this. It's not just a number age thing. It's a, he does not have the faculties and the energy to really lead, but Media will never tell you the truth on this. They'll never give you what's what. They'll just keep on telling you the emperor's got clothing on. You just can't see it. Well, we can see something there, that's for sure. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.